Welcome to Team Futurism. Today I'm talking with Kimberly Forsyth, who is someone I've been following on Twitter for quite some number of years. I've read her book about the universal means of production, which is one thing we'll be talking about today. And kind of just in general, she has a lot of strong takes about transhumanism and futuristic topics. So I want to jump into some of those topics today. But first, I do want to start just by asking, how did you get interested in transhumanism, futurism, and related tech topics? Oh my goodness. Well, for transhumanism, um, it was uh, actually on Facebook. It kind of bled into some economic people that I was following at that time. And just all of a sudden, one day, I, I can almost remember the post too, but I can't remember who it was by. And it just talked about curing aging. And it was like, ding, okay, well, wow, wait, what, <laughs> you know? And from there, I just dug in a little deeper and, and kind of added some more people and it just exploded. And I, I fell in love, absolutely fell in love. How, how long ago was that? Oh gosh, I'm gonna say 2016, 2017, maybe. Okay, that's Future a little bit longer, but to, to come into like transhumanism, yeah, it was, it was really fairly recent. Yeah, you know, come to think of it, I think that I discovered you on Twitter through just kind of like the general world of people who follow Zoltan Istvan. And I think that like, I, I'm not even sure, but you know, just like that world of people, it's not like, especially on Twitter, it's kind of like not a huge world of people. You see the same names popping up like in comments or that sort of a thing, but you, you still follow him, I assume, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that I like about just following transhumanism, being kind of like vaguely part of that world, is it just attracts a lot of interesting characters, right? I mean, like Zoltan and, and some other folks. Just like there's people are just like really fascinating. I mean, Zoltan especially, he has like that weird history of traveling around the world after college and becoming, you know, the guy who invented volcano surfing. I mean, just like a lot of radical people uh, are, are like part of the movement, which I just enjoy just like for that, the sake of that is, is fun. Exactly. Yes, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but I will, I mean, I will also say this particular moment in time is kind of the right time to be paying attention to these topics, whether it's longevity or AI or, you know, augmenting your body in various ways because a lot of very crazy things are happening. Things that I wouldn't have even expected to have happened, you know, going back just five or 10 years, I would have never thought that we would be where we are right now, where it almost kind of looks like we're on the brink of having real progress in uh, longevity. And we know like AI is just like totally taken off and it's wild. So, I mean, you consider yourself very much an optimist in this space. Do you still feel optimistic or do you find it a little bit scary, like how quickly things are right now advancing? I am extremely optimistic on the overall picture, but I can't deny that there are certain things, you know, topics that come to light that, uh, you know, you kind of just take pause and, and go, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that could definitely be a problem. Um, but my stance is to, that's a problem. I, I guarantee we can solve it. You know, um, I, I'm not one of those who just, focuses solely on the problems and believe that we cannot overcome it. Um, I think we really will, especially if we can kind of pull our heads out of our butts and <laughs> stop being so divisive with one another and, and pull together 
and really make a, a go at it. I really do. Do you follow Eliezer Yukowski? No. Um, I, but of course he pops up, like you said, he pops up on my timeline quite often. And so I see little bits here and there. Um, for the most part, I, I really don't want to get sucked into that type of mentality. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I mean, I, I totally get that because I like to just be optimistic about how the future will go and look at things like AI as this is the tool that will solve so many of our problems, whether it's climate change or health related things, or, I mean, I mean, there's so many, so many different, you know, ways that this could be a radical, you know, and, and fully beneficial part of our humanity going forward. But I mean, it is really interesting that people pay so much attention to climate change as the number one worry for the future. I find that totally legitimate. Until you listen to someone like Eliezer Yukowski, who makes, I think, a somewhat, not fully, but somewhat compelling case that, for example, when artificial intelligence achieves general intelligence and becomes like a super AI, right? we'll have one shot to get that right, or else it will kill all of humanity or potentially could kill all of humanity. And if he's even like 10% right about that, I mean, climate change as bad as it is, it is not gonna destroy humanity. Nobody says it's like an existential threat. I could actually actually see a world where AI is a true existential threat. And like right now is the time to be doing something about that. Do you do you not like worry about, about that at all? Or, or how do you place, you know, AI as like, in the world of existential threats to humanity. So, you know, and I I think it really depends on which way we go with it. I think we're not actually, we can have extremely quote unquote intelligent systems um, in silicon, built in silicon, but I do wonder if we will actually have true AI um, without putting it in biological computing, um, you know, wetware and if we can do that, then we can, I think, give it more of a taste of life, uh, mm -hmm. life experience. Um, but I, I don't know, I think it kind of depends on what topic they're talking about. I mean, you know, is it that they're afraid that AI is going to get into all the nuclear arms and, you know, fire all those all at once? Or, I mean, do they really think that we're not going, or is it going to be like a Terminator style where you've got all of these robots running around and stomping people? Like, do you really think we can't stop an army of robots? You know, I mean, some of it, I just, I really don't fully understand why they're so adamant that even if AI did go rogue, we wouldn't be able to beat it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to spell it out, because I, I I think it's fascinating to spell this out just in terms of like sci-fi that could become real. I think that it's it's fun to, to talk about this a little bit. So this is this is, you know, channeling Eliezer, but uh, it could do a couple of things, two of which I think worth highlighting. Um, one thing that a super intelligence could do is it could use humans as its its you know eyes and ears and hands to actually like do nefarious things in the real world. So you know, uh, President Biden gets a text, or someone super powerful gets a text, or whatever, and it says, uh, you know, it manipulates him, it blackmails him into doing just like one little thing, and then, but that was the, the thing that like needs to happen to perpetuate some evil scheme or whatever. Like, hey, if you don't start working on this biological 
you know, lab or whatever, or give money to this biological research lab, then, you know, Russia is going to do X, Y, and Z. It's totally fabricated, but like let's AI will be intelligent enough to, to manipulate people at a high level like that. And then maybe, you know, tons of money gets channeled to this some specific bio lab and then someone else is blackmailed through the AI at this bio lab and then, you know, all hell breaks loose on planet Earth. Certain things like that fascinating because humans, you know, can be manipulated pretty damn easily. Well, humans do that to each other every single day. I mean, that happens so often. So why is AI any different? I mean, nobody's stopping saying stop humans. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, why it's different is that it will presumably be so much more intelligent than us that it's capacity to manipulate us will be like us manipulating dogs. I mean, this would be, again, Eliezer's thought. Yeah, and that's a pretty low view of humanity, in my opinion, because, like I said, I mean, we do that to each other all the time. I mean, what is marketing? It is pure manipulation and propaganda, and yet we have no problem, you know, with like dealing with that and and following that um so i mean we have we have problems with that i think we have problems with that yeah we do okay yeah but but it's not like it's not something we're shutting down right obviously yeah well i mean this is this is maybe the other point just to highlight that eliezer will say is that uh you know we just say oh a lot of people say this you can just unplug the ai and just it'll it'll stop at that point but he would say that it wouldn't be that difficult for a super intelligent thing to just have multiple backups of itself. And he kind of articulates how that could happen. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But um, yeah. there, there are definitely like scenarios that spell out how it could back itself up and then manipulate us into doing really nefarious things so that effectively this artificial intelligence controls Every single stock market trade, every, I mean, every single military uh, at a high level. I mean, like everything. We think that we control the world, but we totally don't. It's completely 100% out of our control. And then our fate is up to the whim of some, like, you know, rogue computer effectively. I, I don't know. I think it's fun to think about that. Are, are you are you not, not into the, that line of thinking? I, I take it. No, no. It's just, you know, when I hear those things, I just tend to think about, you know, how it kind of applies to what we do anyway. And then I also think about the whole idea of anthropomorphism and how we tend to, um, you know, put our human characteristics onto non-human things. And if something is going yeah. to be that super intelligent i i just kind of have a hard time believing that it's going to just automatically be nefarious i agree i i am so a thousand percent on board with that yeah the more you see multiple and understand multiple sides of things multiple viewpoints the less angry you get about someone who has a different viewpoint so that's one of the things about me is i tend to be able to listen to multiple sides of an argument and find that they all have valid points you know or and how things kind of get lost in the argument when they're arguing with one another um and i think ai would be able to do that a thousand times better than us and i think that that is the route that it would take especially if we make sure that we have programmed it with multiple viewpoints from the very beginning you know we're raising a child right now it's it we got a little baby ai right here and we can raise it multiple different ways but i think the best way to do it is open source 
lots and lots of viewpoints and allow it to see the commonality between all those viewpoints. And I think at that point it would actually be able to better explain our commonalities more than exploit our differences. I think that you just completely articulated how I view this. I think that if something, some artificial thing were to achieve a higher, like a radically higher level of intelligence than us, I think that it would, it would, you know, there's no reason why it wouldn't be the benevolent God. Yeah. And in fact, I think, think that there are a lot of reasons why it would be the benevolent God, because it would see the beauty and the wonder of life in general. It would know that life is finite. It would know that the cosmos someday will wind to a close. At one point it wound up and that's beautiful. How could it not like take that perspective and then kind of like see the intrinsic value in ways that we don't even appreciate in every single like little tiny stupid ant, let alone us, right? Like right. us being like currently and for quite a long time now, the most complex being in the known universe. Like true, like, like no doubt it would appreciate that. I feel like. Yeah, most definitely. You just gave me goosebumps, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think part of a lot of this fear is exactly what you are pointing out that people just kind of tend to forget is mm -hmm. there's so much beauty, so much beauty right in front of us and so much beauty that we have yet to discover and it can help us discover and i think right. it would really take advantage of that aspect more than than wanting to hurt sure yeah like you mentioned ants sure it might want to you know there's always the possibility that it would be like oh ant squish um <laughs> but i mean i don't think so i really don't okay so putting aside all the fun doomsday scenarios, which I love talking about. <laughs> Spell out your utopian vision for me. I don't believe there is such a thing as utopia, really. Everybody has a different idea of what utopia would be. But I mean, for, I guess, something that would be very close to it um, would be more like a Star Trek type society. Um, now, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Frekkie. I guess you want to say fake Trekkie. Um, I'm a poser, so I will willfully admit that. Um, but I do like some of the core concepts of the, the show. And that is basically a moneyless society. Uh, the mm -hmm. whole goal is not to, you know, just pursue business and produce and consume. Our whole goal is to improve, improve ourselves, improve, improve humanity, improve our knowledge, improve our understanding, and go out there, and see I'm getting goosebumps again, and go out there, out to the stars, and go find stuff, you know? We are just so, and I think that that's part of what humanity, or at least, you know, especially people in the US right now, one of the things that we are just so depressed about is we see all these things on TV like Star Trek, and then we we want it. And then we look at our day-to-day -day lives and here we are grinding, you know, ourselves down nonstop just to what, make money to barely make ends meet? No, that is not, if anybody wants to talk about the purpose of life, that is not the purpose of life. It is not for you to grind yourself until you're dead. It's for you to go out there and learn and improve and discover, you know, and that's what I want to see us doing. Yeah. One of the worst things about life is that we're such a wealthy, especially like in America, such a wealthy nation, but it's so hard to feel like you've made it right. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, it's it's people just hate their jobs. It's like seventy percent of Americans hate their jobs. I I mean, I guess even if you didn't have a chance of feeling like you've made it, at least if you could enjoy what you're doing day to day, like that would be that would be a, a form of utopia, right? Because it's kind of like all, almost all you could ask for in life is like have a job that's fulfilling and then you know work off of that. We don't have that, right? Um, and I I think that this is getting into the world of of the book that you wrote about the universal means of production. Tell me about that. And this book is it's available on Amazon. I've read it and also published a small snippet of it in uh, my literary journal, Jokes Review. So that's out there. People can, can check that out. But yeah, give me give me the highlights and maybe explain the concept, universal means of production. Well, so first I want to point out that it's uh, that book is just absolutely terrible. It was literally me just making an attempt to try to get this idea out of my head and onto paper. Um, I want to redo it very soon, uh, <laughs> but um, I did not come up with the term universal basic means of production. That was actually uh, inspired by a man named Corey Cowell, who is also mm. part of the U.S. Transhumanist Party. Um, and it just really fit into the idea that I was pursuing at the time, which is is the whole reason I went to Europe. Um, and basically, it is the idea of bringing production of basic commodities, survival commodities, back to the local level. And for my vision of it, and this can encompass, I mean, any number of technologies or any different types of strategies that you want to use to be able to achieve this. Um, and in my vision for it, I would really like to first bring it back locally and then go and it help be help to advance the whole private means of production through molecular manufacturing um and that right there i think is the end goal people talk about ai and they talk about you know all this stuff that ai can do first but if you want to talk about something really crazy Look into molecular manufacturing because is this the right same thing as nanotechnology or is that a different world? It is. Yeah, okay. yeah as far as I understand, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on it. Uh, you know, I I rely on the experts to kind of rein in my optimism there. But it's yes, basically it's nanotechnology and it's being able to 3D print molecule by molecule, atom by atom. Um, you know, and something like that. I mean, you think about it. It's so funny because I we did a Twitter Spaces not too long ago, just me and a couple of uh, wonderful followers. We were just kind of joking around and stuff, and we're like, "Hey, we figured out that all of the molecules that we need to make just about anything is in seawater. So hmm. climate change is, you know, it's it's causing sea level rises. There we go. We just figured out how to solve it. We'll take a bunch of seawater out and we'll build anything we need with it. You know, we'll put it in cartridges or something like that, you know, like oversimplification. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think really that, that kind of technology, not only does it instantly solve poverty, it, it basically collapses the supply chain. It collapses jobs. It collapses the need for business. It collapses, I mean, it, it turns us into our own leaders and that right there i think is you you are in charge of your own anything that you need you know that right there is just so mind-blowing to think of um i'm a huge proponent of it i really really want to see us incorporate that topic more into national the national conversation 
So I remember when I was in high school, I was on the debate team, and one of the topics that that was brought up one of these years that I was, that I was doing that was uh, nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea that, like, you know, in the future, you'll be able to just pick up a handful of dirt, plop it in some machine, and it spits out a gold watch or whatever you want. Because technically, all the molecules you need are, it's like you said, it's in seawater, it's in dirt, it's, you know, they can be rearranged and you can create anything. And I mean, this is like a lot of sci-fi has kind of talked about this concept. Philip K. Dick has written about this a little bit. I was in high school, I won't even say how long ago, like a gazillion years ago. We are living effectively now in the future, but I don't, I mean, other than maybe some some like medical papers I've read about with like implications for for the future of medicine, I I don't really see any any practical movement on this front. Like, is anyone actually de- trying to work on a uh, like a a product that would be able to manufacture or three D print anything out of just like random molecules? Is that even like are, are people working on this like at a practical level? Yes, most definitely. Um, and in fact, uh, not that long ago on, on Twitter, I created my pin tweet. Uh, you know, I put a, a thread of the things that I was able to find just kind of right off the bat most easily. So there's a list of projects there. Um, namely, there's one called Canna. They're trying to hmm. uh, basically create one for beverages. And there's also Professor Lee Cronin. Uh, he is uh, working on a computer for um, basically digitizing chemistry. And uh, that could, you know, one Hmm. day lead to us being able to produce our own pharmaceuticals in our own homes. You know, goodbye, thousand dollar insulin or or, uh, epinephrine or something like that, printed in your own home. Um, And let's see, there's a few others that I can't think of right off. Oh, 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 there's also Prometheus Fuels. They Hmm. are taking carbon directly out of the air and converting that to multiple different types of fuel, jet fuel, gasoline, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, we talk about, oh, well, we need to ban fossil fuels and all this right now. And that's one of the things that I try to spread the awareness of is that Prometheus Fuels, you know, that's if for areas right now where it would be extremely difficult to ban that, uh, then maybe we could perhaps switch over, you know, invest more in that. And maybe that would kind of appease some of the environmentalists and things like that. Um, and then there are a few others that are more stealth mode. And I don't know exactly what they're working on, but it's definitely something that has been on the radar for decades. As you said, you know, many great thinkers have talked about it for decades and it's been in through Congress. There's an actual, um, I'm going to say it's a council through that the United States government has on nanotechnology. Uh, You can go through and you can see where they have thought about how it could be used with nuclear weapons, how they would secure Mm -hmm. nuclear weapons that were created with nanotech. Um, and I, I think in many ways it's been suppressed simply because of the possibilities that it has. Yes, there is always, it's kind of like with the AI doomers, and there's always the possibility that somebody can get a machine like that and build a nuclear bomb. Okay, yeah, that's a danger. But what are the other great things that can be done with it, right? And I think they also kind of understand that if people are able to 3D print anything on demand in their own home, obviously 
that collapses the entire economy, that collapses their power structure, that opens up the world for people to do their own thing, and that's scary to them. So of course they're <laughs> going to suppress something like that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, suppress is, is one way to look at it. Uh, maybe like another avenue to discuss here is like regulation, because I know that Sam Harris has talked about this recently on a podcast about, he has some expert on about this. Uh, right now there are couple of university labs that have the ability to just like that print off smallpox print off you name it like scary disease x it's it's there they can just like press some buttons it spits out like the actual like fucking virus right right and he says that like we're not very far away from this being available at all universities and then all high schools and then like anyone just can buy one of these off ebay that will just print smallpox or whatever scary and like this is this could be the thing that ends humanity just this like this could be it right so there has to be at some level some i mean zoltan when he talks about this he says that we need radical transparency this is the only way that we can avoid our own death is if like every single keystroke we ever take on the on the laptop every time we walk out the street every time we do take any action at all it absolutely has to be monitored or else we're going to kill ourselves because we will have that level of not all, be all, you know we can create fun things to make our lives enjoyable but every single person on the planet earth will also be able to destroy planet earth like because it will just be that easy to do so everything we need to do needs to be monitored and the second you start typing a set of keys on your laptop like robots come and like bind your arms right so you can't go any further on <laughs> on this task or whatever I, I don't know like so so there's like either radical transparency or there's just like super mega intense regulation or else conceivably again the world might end i, I don't know how do you how do you play with those ideas are you are you thinking that we will have to like super highly hardcore regulate this or or i don't know like institute radical transparency or i don't know how, how do you avoid doomsday scenarios with this technology you know that's an excellent point it really is and just so people know i forgot one there was a tesla during the pandemic they were producing micro factories and sending mm. them over to CureVac uh to produce mrna vaccines mm. um so while yes they can produce these uh you know viruses they can also produce vaccines so <laughs> but Yes, I know. This one is very slippery slope. And I think this perhaps is more of a concern than killer AI um, for mm. the reasons that you said. And I I do agree a lot with Zoltan on the radical transparency. I mean, I have for the most part, I mean, what are you guys going to do? Watch me pick my nose or something? I mean, I don't really <laughs> care, <laughs> you know, and but I understand why a lot of people do care. And I understand that like, it we don't want to be China, right? Like chi it's scary right. to be in China because the wrong think element of this. You don't want to like have to like go to jail just because of your wrong think. Thing exactly. Did, you know? And yes, it, it is a slippery slope. There can be there's a lot of room for for abuse there. And that is why with that radical transparency, we also have to have a radical upshift in people being more literate in these topics. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be an expert. I am certainly no expert in these topics, but I understand enough, I think, to be able to form a strong opinion and be able to, um, you know, debate these things and, and help to find solutions to them. And that right there, you know, that kind of goes into a whole other topic, but we, we've got to get more people literate in this area. 
just thinking about it and, and joining the national conversation. And if we don't, then that is when we are going to see those those dystopian nightmares come come to pass. But mm -hmm. if people actually, I really truly believe, yes, of course, you have these one-off cases, but I truly believe that the vast majority of people, given enough information, can make sound decisions. The problem is, is that it take that takes a lot of time and effort and patience and basically deprogramming them mm -hmm. to understand these things. So, yeah, but, I mean, it is interesting, kind of like any given moment, it's maybe like one to 10% of the population that actually has like truly nefarious goals for that would impact like humanity in general. Yeah. Maybe if we're doing like radical technology, maybe or radical transparency, maybe it would just be like, oh, if you were born with certain, you know, proclivities in your brain, like you're like 50% to 100% of a psychopath, you have to be monitored your whole life. If you're like one to 50% psychopath, maybe not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like there, there are ways, like we will know so much in the future that we probably will be able to dial down and really tweak how these things need to be regulated or I, I don't know. I don't know, it's, it's just interesting, but I think that like you are on the right track of needing to just be willing to embrace some radical thoughts in order to navigate what could, like the potentialities, they're so, they're so crazy. I want to, I want to pivot just a little bit to get more of like a general question out here, which is that um, there is this, everyone is familiar with UBI, right? There's this kind of parallel concept of UBS, Universal Basic Services, and at least in, in my mind, it's it's very much championed by this guy, Aaron Bastani, who's the author oh. of Fully Automated Luxury Communism. Yeah. He, he makes a really, I think he's got like a TED Talk, he makes a really compelling case about why like, yeah, sure, UBI is cool, but what we really need is UBS. And this would be everyone gets free healthcare, everyone gets, you know, sufficient amount of food, everyone can have a home. And this is this is, you know, he spells out why in the future when there is no longer such thing as as uh, you know, he calls it like the post scarcity society. I think that you talk about this too, where where there will no longer be scarcity of anything, and whether it's energy or water or whatever, we will solve the scarcity problem globally. Um, and so he's like, we'll provide everyone with what they need. And and then they can pursue like an income above and beyond that if they want to or whatever. I see like what you're discussing with the universal means of production, universal basic means of production, very much aligned with like his worldview. And he frames that in terms of communism. How How do you frame how the world is structured if everyone has the ability to produce whatever, you know, commodities they would ever dream of? Is, is, is do we have to like restructure our government so that's no longer a capitalist thing? Is it like a luxury communism, or how do you how do you you know frame the world at that Ooh, time? That's a very good and yes, I I, I have heard of Aaron. I um, a while back had actually written a little bit about the idea. I haven't read his book or anything, but <laughs> I haven't either. I need to read his book, but yeah. Yeah, just kind of just when I heard the word and kind of read a general overview, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that aligns with kind of what I'm saying too. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so so basically, I, just to go back, I want to make sure you're you're asking like whether obviously yes, the the government would definitely and. It, economic and monetary structures would definitely need to break away from this capitalist mindset, um, especially if everything is basically provided for free. Um, I think I think in general, 
none of us can predict that at this point because I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And honestly, I think we could go so, so many different ways with that. Um, and it's really going to depend on kind of how the, the cards, you know, or the dominoes before it fall, where it's going mm -hmm. to land. Um, so that I don't really have an answer for at this time. I think if, now I love the idea of universal basic services. I think that would kind of cover things that, you know, like a, um, a molecular printer really couldn't cover, like a house, okay? You know, like a, some land, a piece of land to, to put a house on. I don't know, I tend to think that people would be more apt to, to travel and do things like that. And I think that it would really, like I said, I, I could go a few different ways. <laughs> I think it's it's gonna we're gonna have to watch and see how things shape up with that one. Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer really at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those questions where I see some people, you know, just like the talking heads of the world, starting to be curious about just other possibilities. I mean, I know like Eric Weinstein, who I think is fascinating, but also possibly slightly nutty. Um, but he said on a recent podcast that we need to stop thinking about communism versus capitalism versus socialism. And we need to start thinking about radical alternatives or just opening our mind to the fact that like we are in a place where we're going to be moving past these terms in general. They will not right. apply once AI really kicks in and delivers. I'm, I'm kind of like of that mindset just because I think that it's it's important to have that in the back of our minds. People just like get so worked up over like, I'm a capitalist, right? Or I'm a socialist. It's like, I, I think that we just need to just start by not being so worked up about those things as if like it's a religious dogma that we're attached to and just start being like, whoa, like what we care about is like human flourishing, right? Like <laughs> that's the exactly. thing that we actually care about. That's exactly it. And yeah, you know what? In fact, uh, I guess Mark Andreessen, he is going, I think that's how you pronounce it, Andreessen? Andreessen, um, yeah. Andreessen, yeah. He's going to, he was posting yesterday and the other day, uh, you know, for people to post questions for their next uh, podcast. And that he said, mention communism. And hmm. I, my question is, is why is it that we only talk about capitalism and communism. I mean, why? Why can't we look at something more? So I 100% I yeah. agree with that idea of just get rid of this false dichotomy. Everything that we argue about is usually just a false dichotomy. You know, it's like uh, with energy production, it's like, oh, well, it's either going to be solar or wind or nuclear, and there's nothing else, you know? And no, we have so many different things. Let's start looking at all of these different things. Let's start breaking all, we, we put these problems into silos and then, you know, then only a few certain solutions will fit into those silos. Like start, start building bridges between all of these silos because mm -hmm. in many different ways, a lot of these problems are actually just completely connected. And a lot of the times we don't see those connections. So if those problems are connected in all these different ways, then why can't we find solutions that are connected? Why can't we combine technologies? Why can't, it, but just for the most part, break away from the false dichotomy. It's either this mm -hmm. or that, it, it's not. It's this and that, now consider that, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's well said. Um, I have a hard stop coming up, so I'm just going to hit one more topic. This is something that you have talked about a little bit. Um, and I'm not actually too familiar with your thoughts here, so I want to throw it at you. What are your thoughts on the future of the internet? And I present this to you at a time where you do see a lot of articles, like in the New York Times even, and stuff like this about how, you know, Web3 was coming, what happened to Web3. And then, you, you know, social media is at this weird place where, I mean, the social media giants are all kind of like at each other's throats with, uh, you know, threads is now a thing that's trying to like overtake Twitter. Like everyone's trying to overtake Twitter at some level. Everyone's trying to be the new TikTok. Who knows what in the world is coming next? The, the internet does seem like it's in a weird flux. I was just talking the other day to uh, Rachel Haywire, who that episode will will uh, be online by the time this this drops, um, and she's talking about how like the the future of the internet is just going to be a bunch of effectively chat rooms. Like chat rooms are going to be, or, or group chats. That's going to be like the future of how the internet, you know, becomes distributed. Or how we interface with the internet. With the internet, I don't know. Like, there's there's a lot happening right now. This is a weird time in like the history of the internet. What are your thoughts, and how do you see the future of the internet unfolding? I really uh, like Tim Berners-Lee's, uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the creator of the World Wide Web. His, I like him too. Yeah. His new project, Solid by Inrupt. Now, mm. again, you know, it, it's the the details um, that was always in the details, but basically the idea is we get to hold on to our data, and one of the things I love about that is it can eliminate a lot of these middlemen, these social media companies and things right. like that. Um, and that's where I see it going. I know people talk about I, I, the whole Web3 and blockchain and so on and so forth. Yes, there's a lot of benefits to a lot of the things that they propose, but I do think that at some point we are going to have to have our own little pods where all of our data is stored it's going to be a lot more secure than it is now um, and it's going to to allow us to like i said eliminate a lot of the middlemen and issues with the middlemen that we deal with currently um, but i know that there would be a lot of, of resistance against that simply for the fact that our data us as products runs a huge amount of the economy Mm -hmm. So right. if we cut off that flow, man, and it also was one of the biggest catalysts, in my opinion, to being able to create AI. And to cut that off now, I think, could be detrimental to AI if we do not have the ability to at least offer that data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What to just like throw out one more question still along these lines. Do you have any hot takes on on X on you know Elon <laughs> Musk rebranding the whole Twitter thing and like leaning into X? Oh, Do God. you have any thoughts about this? Honestly, to me it's I, so cringe. I just I, oh god. I, I honestly don't even give a shit. Like okay, okay, you that's know, fair. I mean, it's like it's it's all branding, it's all marketing, and you know, I mean, I could go off on a huge tangent about my thoughts on marketing as a marketer. <laughs> it's my business, um, you know. So I mean, for the most part, you know, he bought it. He named it something that he loves. The name he loves the word X. He loves it. So okay, whatever. Do whatever you want. Um, 
again, I think very, very soon there's going to become a tipping point. And I think that a lot of this is just not going to matter anymore. It really won't. Do you think that the Twitter now X, do you think that it's going to turn into the everything app? Do you think Elon has it in him to actually create the everything app that he's trying to do? You know, I adore Elon. Um, you know, I feel bad because there for a while, I wasn't exactly stalking him, but I was just like trying everything I could think of to, to get his attention because I wanted to see him partner with Tim Berners-Lee and mm -hmm. to, you know, create those pods for users so that users could, could control their own data and sell their own data um, and earn passive income off of that. And then they could also contribute their own spare computing power and earn passive income off that. And I think... I think he definitely can do, can do it. Um, whether or not he goes how I want him to go, probably not. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? um, otherwise, I would have spent so much time trying to, you know, looking like an idiot, trying to get his attention for all of that. But um, yeah, I do. I do. I have a lot of faith of in, in him, but I also understand that he's not, he's not a god or anything like that. He's just a human being. And so mm -hmm. many of us want to to follow him and to to get in front of him, and I think that kind of you know causes some issues, definitely, and and some of his his uh, outbursts are are part of that. You know, the world is a stage kind of thing. So all eyes on him. Sure, why not be a little weird? Um, but I do think I do think he'll make it a lot better. Uh, but whether or not, like I said, that sticks around if, you know, they don't start because I, for one, am not going to give up. I was so close to giving up on and just, you know, walking away from a lot of this. But I'm not going to give up talking to people about projects like Solid and controlling our own data and selling our data and our computer power and things like that. Um, and I think at eventually people will start to recognize and want that more. Excellent. Well, spoken like a true optimist. I mean, interestingly, <laughs> I have become a little bit like annoyed with Elon to the point where I'm just kind of like, God, I wish you just like stick to what you do like very well, like SpaceX and Tesla. And why are you doing social media? To me, I feel like he's not good at it. He's not good at running the social media com company because why would somebody be good at running every type of company? I mean, I don't know, like I wouldn't put like Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, I wouldn't have him necessarily run like Kraft Foods. I, I don't, you know what I mean? But even though he's like right. an amazing CEO, right. I don't know, who knows? But, but you know, I was just going to say, I appreciate that you uh, hold true to like being optimistic in in the face of uh, you know a lot of the Elon haters out there, and also just being optimistic about all these topics in the future. I think that it's it's great to have that perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know I appreciate the chat and everything. And you know, I, just one thing I do want to say about Elon real quick is that that was <laughs> one of the things I was under the impression of when he first went to uh, when he first bought Twitter, and um, that was like, oh well, he's autistic. Well, obviously he's not going to be good at social interactions. And then I realized that that's not necessarily true for autistic people. And okay, well, all right, all right. I jumped to a conclusion there. Let's see what he does. That's you know, true. Okay. and even if he like fails, all oh, well. You know what? We got bigger things to worry about than fucking Twitter. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. well, we'll do something else, you know, that, that opens up an opportunity for someone else. So just, we don't need to get so riled up. I could, I, could, I could talk all day about 
several of the topics just just right there but sadly (laughs) gotta gotta wrap it up hey well uh real quick where can people find out more about what you're up to and your thoughts uh just on twitter right now that's the only thing only social media i I really do oh sorry oh god yes (laughs) on x don't don't dead name twitter yeah all right um, yeah, you can find uh-huh. me on X, New World Optimist with no O in the world. So um, I'm pretty much the only active Kimberly Forsyth on there. So you can also search my name. But yeah, <laughs> that's Excellent. about all you'll find me. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for coming on Team Futurism. It was a great talk. Oh, you're wonderful, Peter. I sincerely appreciate you.